people forget things. That's what we do, right? We all forget things. Some of us are better at it than others. Some of us forget lots of things. And um, we, uh, you know, kind of make a little uh, a habit out of that sort of stuff. I, I don't really forget important things. I remember birthdays and anniversaries. Um, I remember all kinds of obscure data from, from college and seminary, from the second grade. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis, siete, ocho, nueve, diez. I learned that in the second grade. That's the only Spanish I know, um, other than baño. Um, you know, where's the bathroom? Uh, you know, have almost no taco, you know, those sorts of things. But I learned in the second grade and still remember how to, you know, count to ten. Um, lots of other sorts of obscure data that serves me in no real practical way at all. Uh, I remember, though, when I was a, a university professor, I'd have these, I did this every year. I'd have this, my largest class, usually I'd have 50 or 60 students in it, and I would do a little survey, and I did this every year that I was there. How many of you, I would ask them, sitting in a class, so these are 20-year-olds, uh, you know, 18 to 22, how many of you can tell me from memory three phone numbers that are in your telephone right now? And out of classes of 50 or 60, never more than two or three people could remember, tell me by, from memory, the numbers, even of their mother. They wouldn't even know their mother's phone number. Like, how is that possible? I remember my best friend Rob Patterson's phone number, 323-2250. And I haven't called it in two and a half decades, you know. This is my high school friend. Like, how is it that people, you know, remember some things and others wouldn't remember? Well, the answer, of course, is because you don't have to. We don't remember things because we have an auxiliary brain. We carry it around in our pockets or in a purse or wherever you carry it. And you can ask it all sorts of questions, you know, like, who won the 96 World Series? You know, like you go and you can look at it. It wasn't the, wasn't the Indians, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, you can go and you can look those sorts of things up, right? And, and that's how we don't remember things. But then there's that short-term memory. You know how the short-term memory works? The stuff that you're supposed to remember for like a half an hour and then you never have to remember again. My wife will say to me, honey, would you go to the store? We need milk, eggs, and bread. And you know me, being the compliant sort of person I am, I say, of course, dear, I would love to. And um, I go jump in the car, and there's only three things, milk, eggs, and bread, you know, and I, I say it to myself over and over. I don't write it down. Of course I don't write it down. Milk, eggs, and bread. And I drive from my house, the, you know, the, the mile and a half to the Acme, and I go in, and I see Oreos for $1.39. And I'm like, yeah. Oreos. We really could use some Oreos. And, um, and then I pick them up, you know, and I'm, and I'm cruising through and there are bananas, you know, bananas are on sale. And I'm like, I'm sure we don't, we need bananas, right? And I, I pick those up and then there's Gouda, you know, the little cheese. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, we don't have Gouda around often enough. You know, we should get some Gouda. And they're crackers that goes with Gouda because you need crackers to go with your Gouda and, of course, a nice bottle of wine. Um, and so here I am, and I have I get to the, the checkout line, and I've got $100 worth of groceries, and I get home, and I say, look, I've got Gouda. And, um, and have you'll say, okay, that's great, but how about the eggs? Like, oh, eggs. I forgot the eggs. Well, wh- where's the milk? Oh, the milk, too, I forgot. You know, everything that I was supposed to get, I totally forgot. Because I was totally distracted. It's important sometimes not to get distracted. You know, there are times where getting distracted can be, can be very problematic. Um, 
I read where this rock star didn't read his contract because he was too, uh, you know, enthrous, uh, in, enthralled with himself, whatever. And, um, and so he didn't read his contract, and he didn't get any of the royalties of the songs that were sold online. And he sold 10 million songs online and lost, like, at least, well, I mean, even if it's 50 cents a song, $5 million in royalties. Not paying attention, getting distracted when you're driving can be very problematic, right? It could even be fatal. Uh, not paying attention. When I was 17, one day I, I'm driving down the road and I'm kind of messing with my car radio. And as I, you know, I'm just one eye on the road and one eye on the, on the radio, which really doesn't work very well because my eyes are kind of connected. They usually go the same direction, you know. And so I'm, I'm looking down at the radio and a car runs a stop sign. And I T-bone that car with authority. I mean, with authority, I hit that car in the side. And thank God nobody was harmed, but, but not paying attention, you know, could have been, uh, it could have been fatal. There's an old adage in sports, and it goes like this. Keep your eye on the ball. <laughs> you, know, you don't actually have to be a, 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 you know, a sports enthusiast to know what that means. Keep your eye on the ball. Don't be distracted. Don't forget what you're here to do. I was with some um, some friends this week uh, in retreat. Uh, they were some priest friends of mine, and we do we talk shop. You know how you do, and um, and so we're going through the lessons this week. And everybody's like, "I am not preaching the gospel." I'm, you know, that's kind of a what is he saying? You know, what's going on there? Is out of a, a, a disjointed text? But I don't think it's that difficult at all. I think Jesus is saying, well, he, he's been talking to critics, but now he's moved to talking to his friends. And he's telling his friends some things, and the first few verses are, are, are not in the text, but we're going to get to that in a minute. It, it, it seems like Luke is kind of bringing some disjointed things together, but, but let me back up and just give you a little bit of the text that you didn't get. Jesus says to his disciples, temptations of sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he, if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Three things. Temptations are bound to come. Everybody's like, whew, good, because my life has been full of them. All right, so temptations are bound to come. But secondly, don't use temptation as an excuse to cause damage to children. Better that a millstone is hung around your neck and you're cast into the sea than to use that excuse. And third, if someone keeps sinning against you and keeps coming and saying, I'm sorry, forgive them. <laughs> there are three things that you have to do. Realize temptation is bound to come. Don't use it as an excuse to harm children. And, um, and if somebody sins against you and asks forgiveness, you forgive them. And his friends say in response to this, Lord, give us more faith. <laughs> this is what they, you know, it's, Oh my, woe is me. You, you realize what you're asking? This is a pretty tall bill to fill. Give us more faith. Increase our faith. These are heavy demands. And Jesus' answer could be simplified as this. You don't need more faith. Just a tiny little bit will do. A tiny little bit will fulfill these demands. The last section then, this uh, verse 7 to 10, this parable. parable goes something like this. You've hired somebody to do a job. They do the job. Do you send them a thank you card? <laughs> no, they're doing their job. You, you, you gave them a salary. This is what they're doing. They're doing what they're supposed to do. 
Uh, you probably do send thank you cards, but you're nicer than most people. Most people don't. They just give them their paycheck and say, that's, that's plenty. You know, you, you've done your job. Nobody gets to the airport and says, wow, you know, the pilot, he flew us all the way home. You know, like, did you think he was going to stop in Albuquerque and have a snack or something like that? What, what did you expect was going to happen? He flew you, of course he flew you all the way home. Nobody goes to the restaurant and says, Margaret, can you believe it? They brought us food and took the dishes away. No, they're supposed to do that. This is exactly what they're supposed to do. Nobody says, um, you know, I can't believe a supermarket stocked with milk, eggs, and bread. (laughs) Nobody says that. The point in both sections. It's not up to us to work for more faith. We just have to use what we already have. This is what Jesus is saying. Just a tiny little bit, like a small, you know, like a little mustard seed size faith. Just use that. If that's all you've got, use what we already have. Because God has given us faith. He's given us this gift. We have to use it. We don't have to beg for more. We don't twist his arm to give us more faith. We just have to use what we already have. He's given us enough faith to live lives that are holy and kind. He's given us enough faith to be generous and merciful. All we have to do, follow the Nike motto, just do it. Just do what we know we need to do. That's all that has to happen. Now, this passage applies in lots of ways, right? The obvious ways are, you know, avoiding temptation, forgiving those who do us wrong. But this is Stewardship Sunday, so more than that, stewardship is not about giving money to the church. It's not at all about that. It's a part of it, but it's not about that. It's how we handle the gifts that we've been given. We've been giving these gifts. How do we use them? It's not, you know, just saying, I, I can't forgive people. It's not, you know, I, I can't do that. You know, it's, it's too hard. You know, they've been wronged me and I, I just can't forgive them. Well, I think Jesus is saying, you have enough faith to do it. Just do it. If what you need to do is forgive, forgive. You know, I can't give this money away. I need it. I have to hold on to it. I might need it. No, give it. If he's compelling you to give it, give it. Trust that he'll provide. Oh, I'd love to work with homeless people. I I would. I'm just so frightened, you know, that they're unstable. (laughs) Okay, well, go out and try it if you're compelled to do it. I'd love to welcome a, a foster child in my home, but I just don't know if I could do it. Well, if you're compelled to do it, do it. Or serve in some other way. There's something, if he's calling us to do something that we should do, it doesn't take more faith. It just takes using the tiny little bit that we have. There's this great missionary to China. His name was Hudson Taylor. And he had this great saying. He would say, you know, what's happened in China is not about my great faith. It's about my tiny little faith and God's great faithfulness. I just put my tiny little faith in his great faithfulness and this is what happens. So every instance, it's not about having more faith to give of our love, to give of our time, to give of our talents, to give of our uh, financial resources. It's about using the tiny little bit of faith that we already have. And then, Jesus says, and not expecting a pat on the back for doing it. You did what you should have done. This is exactly what, what, what it means to follow me. Being a Christian is simply this. It is daring to live a radical life of following Jesus in every instance. Morning to night. 
Sunday through Saturday, every day, daring to follow Jesus. You remember those uh, bracelets, the WWJD? Uh, uh, contrary to popular belief, they do not stand for we want Jack Daniels. It means, um, <laughs> what would Jesus do? Um, what would he do? What would he do in every instance? You like that one, did you? What would he do in every instance? It's, it's asking myself that question. What would Jesus do here or here or here or here? What would he do? Um, when I was a, a doctoral student, I got a trip to go to, um, to Seoul, Korea. And we get to spend time with the church in Seoul. Um, the church in Seoul is amazing. If you've, if you've never been to Korea, go just for the, uh, the anthropological study on religion because it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, the churches in Korea are, uh, they are one of the most missional uh, groups of churches anywhere in the world. Uh, the, the Korean missionaries aren't interested in coming to the West. They, they're not interested in coming to the United States or, uh, or um, Western Europe. The Korean missionaries go to places like um, inland China, and they go to what's called the 1040 window, the Middle East. Um, there are Korean missionaries all over places that you, you, you never hear about them being, places like um, Iraq and Syria, and, and um, they even try to get into Saudi Arabia. It's, it's amazing what the Korean missionaries will do. Um, and there's a story that I heard while I was there about this American businessman who was traveling in Korea, and he was in Seoul, and, and he went out to the countryside, and he's in a, a car with this uh, Korean national, and they're showing him around, and he sees this guy in a field. And there's this young boy, uh, you know, like a teenager, and he's got uh, a yoke on him, and he's pulling this crude plow, and his dad is behind the plow. So the boy is pulling the plow through the field. And this businessman says to his host, he's like, wow, those must be really poor farmers. You know, he's, the boy is pulling the plow. And the host says, I actually know this family, that they're, they're Christians. And uh, their church was, uh, was building a new building and was in a, uh, you know, a stewardship fundraising drive to do that. And, and they had nothing to give. And so this family had an ox and they sold their ox. And they used the money and gave the money to the church. And this spring, the boy is pulling the plow. They hope to have an ox next spring again. But for a year, the boy is going to pull the plow. And uh, the, the, the businessman says, wow, that, you know, that must have been an incredible sacrifice. And his host says, you know, the funny thing is that they didn't see it that way at all. They felt like they were blessed to have something to give. That they were, they were blessed, that they were, they were fortunate to have this to give. Well, the, the businessman, he sees it, and he, he had snapped a picture of it, and he goes back, and he, he goes, and he sees his rector, and he, he lays the, the photo down on, the, on his desk and says, um, you know, tells him the story, and he says, you know, this year I want to double my pledge. He said, uh, every year I had been giving what was extra. This year I want to pull a plow. What a fantastic story. Uh, you know, that, that sometimes I think we make things harder than they are. Until we see somebody who does more with less. When we see somebody who does more with less, it, it kind of puts things in perspective. And the truth is, we don't need any more faith to do this. We just have to use the very little bit that we already have. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.